so my 2021 started off, you know, rather shakily. We went uh, on the deer hunting trip. That was a lot of fun. And, uh, and so that night that uh, we, we got there, we went to the range, we shot our rifles, and we're going to drive back to the church to have, uh, uh, to have a barbecue for supper and to where we were going to spend the night at the church. So I got everybody up early the next day to go hunting. It was 2021, January 1st, a new year. I'm excited. I'm in my truck with a couple of students and we're driving back to the church and uh, my truck decides it will go no further. And so 2021 kicks off with a, with a dead vehicle on the side of a road for me. It was a Ford. It was a Ford. Absolutely, it was. That's how my 2021 started. So not off to a great start personally. Things are still going chaotic. One of the things that as the, the whole landscape of the world hasn't changed. Have you noticed that? It's still chaos everywhere. Have you noticed that? So one of the things that I am thrilled about is that when we come in here, we draw a curtain on the world, all right? And what we do in here, we take a look at this Bible, at this Word of God. That's what we dedicate our time to. And because we can focus in here, the rest of the world can fade away for just a, a brief time, but it gives us a moment to focus on the Bible. Now, I've told this story several times over the years. If you've heard it, just grin and bear it. If you haven't heard it, um, it's a story I tell often because it helps, uh, it helps to bring gravity to the situation. Okay, Now, in, in, in America, we can come here together. We can have our Bibles in hand. I've got several back there that if you don't have one, you can grab. We've got Bibles that we can hand out all over the place, but that is not true in other parts of the world. In other parts of the world, it is illegal to call yourself a Christian. It's illegal to have a Bible. Uh, in some parts of the world, Churches will gather together and they'll have maybe one copy of the Bible in their entire church. And so what they'll actually do is they'll, they'll take their Bible and they'll tear out maybe the book of Matthew and they'll give it to this person over here and they'll say, you take that and keep it safe. And they'll tear out uh, the Gospel of John and hand it over here and say, you take that and you keep it safe. And the reason why they do that is not because they're trying to tear up the Bible, but because if anybody ever discovers that that person has the Bible, and if they take it and they confiscate it, well, at least they will not have lost the rest. And so there are other parts of the world that this, this book is precious. It's valuable. And we take it for granted a lot. And one of those countries and one of those areas where it's illegal to be a Christian, where it's illegal to have a Bible, there was a church there, and they would meet, they would gather, but they would have to do it very quietly. And the reason for that is because if they were discovered, the military would come busting in, and they would either arrest everyone in there or kill everyone in there. 
And so they don't want to be discovered, so they would gather and they'd do everything quietly and they would still take their Bible and they would still open it up and they would still read from it. Now, in this particular story, they had not divided up the Bible. They had one Bible for the whole church. And they would get up there and it was a precious and wonderful gift. A remarkable and beautiful thing for them. They're gathered together trying not to be discovered, but on this particular day, it didn't matter. They were found out, and through the back doors, the military comes busting in with guns waving. And they walk up to the front, and they say, we're going to kill everybody in this room. They grab the one copy of the Bible that the church had. They take it and they throw it on the ground. They say, I tell you what, we'll give you a chance to live. If you come up here and if you spit on this Bible, we'll let you walk out of here alive. And so they line everybody up. They go and they grab the first guy in line. They put a gun to his head and they... They spit on the Bible and we'll let you live. And they throw them on the ground. He doesn't do it much. But he does spit just enough that the soldiers laugh and they mock him. They pick him up and they say, get out of here. And he leaves with his life. The next person in line is a woman. They grab her, they put a gun to her head, and they say the same thing. Spit on the Bible, and we'll let you live. And she looks at that Bible, and she looks at the spit. And instead of spitting on it herself, she picks up the book. She takes her dress, and she wipes off the spit from the man before. She says, I'm not spitting on this Bible. And they kill her. Right then and there. No one else in that church would spit on the Bible. And so they killed everyone else in there. I'm telling you that story... Because it maybe helps lead us to a natural question. Why, why not spit on the Bible? What's so important about this book? What's so great about just a cover and paper and ink? What's so wonderful about that? Why is this worth dying for? So we're going to take the next few weeks and we're going to look at exactly what the Bible is. We're going to look at why it's so important. And we're going to see from the Bible what the Bible says about itself. We're also going to see tonight in large part what the world thinks about the Bible. And we're going to spend a little bit of time trying to discover if we're going to draw a curtain on the rest of the world, why are we going to take our time 
to look in this book. Why does this get our focus? Let me pray for us, unless we'll be jumping in. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we do love you and we do praise you, and I thank you for this Bible. I thank you for this scripture. I thank you for these students who have gathered here. And Father, for the opportunity we have to open up these pages, to read these words. And Father, to understand exactly what makes this book so important and so powerful. And so, God, I ask tonight that as we dive into this lesson, that you would begin to create in us a passion, a desire, a swelling in our hearts to know this Word of God. And I ask these things in the name of your Son, Jesus. And for his sake, amen. How many of you, honestly, honestly, you don't have to raise your hand, but I want you to think through it in your head. How many of you honestly spend time in the Bible every day? How many of you honestly spend time in the Bible every week? How many of you honestly spend time in the Bible every month? And, and, and by the way, I'm not counting tonight time in the Bible, all right? I'm talking about time that you spend in the Bible, not time that I spend with you in the Bible. But time that you spend with the Bible. That's an interesting question. It's a great question because... That question helps us to understand immediately how serious are we willing to take this, all right? How serious are we willing to dive into this, all right? Now, let me tell you, this book deserves all of our attention, all of our focus, and that's what we desire to do today. But we've got to recognize the seriousness of this book, that it's serious in other parts of the world, it's serious here, but that far too often in America, we don't take this word seriously at all. I didn't ask you to raise your hand because I don't want anyone to feel embarrassed or anything like that, but the tragic reality is that many people who come to church or many people who call themselves Christians, they never, ever, ever spend time in the Word of God. They think they can get by without it. They can come to church and they can hear their pastor teach about it. They can go to a Bible study. They can hear a teaching about it. They know the stories maybe from Sunday school. They feel like that's good enough. And they never take time to really investigate what's going on and that kind of a mindset is dangerous. And we'll get to that in just a moment. One of the reasons why we talk about this Bible as being so important is... What are some other names for the Bible? The Holy Book? What else? Scripture, that's another word for it. Word of God. 
The Word of God? Absolutely. If we're talking about the Word of God, that's a big deal. That is a massive deal. How many of you in here have ever, have ever seen God before? None of us. How many of you have ever heard like the audible voice of God the way you hear my voice now? Anybody? No, none of us here. What'd you say? Morgan Freeman? I'm afraid not even Morgan Freeman. So none of us have ever been there. So how do we know who God is? How do we know what God wants? How do we know anything about God? He has to tell us. And He has. He's told us through the Word of God. Now, we call the Bible the Word of God because that's what it is. Very simply put, and I tell this to the kids, and I mean this absolutely, if God were to appear in this room right here and now, if God were to speak to us in a voice that we can hear that we can hear and understand, like you hear my voice right here and now, in this time, in this day, at this moment, if God were to stand right here, and if God were to talk to us, I do know what he would say. He would start off by saying, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. But the Spirit of God was hovering over those waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. You guys have heard this before, right? What am, what am I quoting? Genesis. Specifically, it's the first chapter of Genesis. Where is Genesis found? It's in the Bible. What God has for us here and now, in this present time, the words that He speaks to us now, the words that He communicates to us now, the primary means by which we know God here and now are the words that are on these pages. And so God has given us His Word. He's had it written down so that, and, and I know none of us in here have committed the entire Bible to memory, right? Keith, I know you're close, but, uh, but you know, haven't quite reached there yet, have you? None of us have gotten there. We don't know the Bible perfectly. We haven't committed the entire thing to memory. We don't have to commit the entire thing to memory. He's written it down for us. He's given it to us in a way that we can hold in our hands and we can have. But every time... Every single time God is attacked or, um, or someone wants to launch an offensive against God Almighty, do you know where they start that attack at? Every single time the beginning point, the starting point about where am I going to attack God, where am I going to attack God's plan, where am I going to go after what God has, they go after God's Word. 
Real quick, open up to Genesis chapter 3. Now you guys know the story in Genesis. I said a little bit of it to you earlier. God creates everything. When God creates uh, trees and animals and water and sky and sun and moon and stars, when He creates all the creation, He looks at it and says it's good. When He creates man, He says it's very good. He wants an in-depth, intimate relationship with humanity. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 3. And then, with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, everything is the way it's supposed to be. But an attack comes against God's, against God's order, against God's creation. An attack comes. And in Genesis chapter 3, will someone read... I just want someone to read verse 1 for me. Who would read Genesis chapter 3, verse 1? You got it, Casey? Understand, this is the first attack in the Bible that is mentioned about going up against God. The first attack. And what is the attack immediately on? It's on God's Word. But how? Look at what the, look at what the serpent says. He goes up to the woman. And these are his first words. Did God actually say? Wait, what was God's word? Hang on. Did God really say that? Wait a minute. You mean to tell me that God's words are this? And then he takes that little attack. Did God actually say? And he twists the word of God just enough. He attacks it just enough to where Eve and Adam are deceived and to where they fall. And because of that fall, because of that attack against God's Word, that initial surge, that initial offense against God's Word, creation fell through the sin of Adam. This is not the only place, though, that we see an attack against God. In fact, we know that Adam was the first man who was created. And because of Adam, sin came into the world and through sin, death entered the world. We know that he is the first Adam who, because of his falling, brought sin into the world. The Bible makes it clear that there is a second Adam. That second Adam doesn't fail. That second Adam doesn't fall. He doesn't sin. The second Adam undoes the work of the serpent. The second Adam 
brings not sin into the world, but salvation into the world. And when that second Adam came into the world, the devil shows up again. The serpent, by the way, and I don't, I'm not going to take the time to prove it right now, but just understand, the serpent in the garden, that is the devil. That's Satan coming to deceive Eve. Here, I want you to see when the serpent, when the devil comes to attack the second Adam, how does he start it? So I want you to now flip in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 3. And I'm going to read verses 13 to 17 just for context. And then we're going to jump into Matthew chapter 4. Let me read the context of it, okay? Matthew chapter 3, beginning in verse 13, says this, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented, and when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, so here's the Word of God. Here's the Word of God in this story. A voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. So, there's our context. Jesus has come. Jesus is the second Adam who comes. And the Bible makes that plain throughout Scripture. Again, I'm not going to have time to build that case tonight. Just trust me, Jesus is the second Adam I was mentioning to earlier. He's the one who will not fail, but he will bring salvation. And so this second Adam has come. He's been baptized and a voice from heaven says, This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. All right, so I would like someone to read Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. Go for it. Okay. This is an important thing that we need to go through here and now, okay? When the temptation of Jesus comes, when the temptation of this second Adam comes, what is the devil's first attack? What's the first thing he says? The tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God. Now, why would he start off like that? If you are the son of God, what is he immediately going after and attacking? He's going after the Word of God that came just in the previous verse. This is my beloved Son, said the Word of God from heaven. This is my beloved Son. And what does He say? 
if you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And we see Adam doesn't, this second Adam, Jesus, does not fall for the same lie, does not fall for the same attack that the first Adam fell for. This one looks and hears the temptation that's before him, the tempter that's before him and the temptation that's offered to him. And what does this Jesus do? He stands firmly upon the Word of God and he says the Word of God is far greater than whatever doubt and attack you want to put up against me. But understand, the first attack that will always be leveled against God will always come against His Word. So if we're going to say this is the Word of God, you've got to understand this book right here is going to come under attack. And it already has. This book is, uh, in 1995, it received the Guinness Book of World Records for being the most distributed book in all of the world. By the best estimate, uh, it's impossible to know how many Bibles people own and stuff like that, but as far as the most distributed book in all of the world, the Bible is number one. And by the best estimate, they guess about six billion Bibles have been handed out all over the world. Now that's b-b-billion. That's with a B. All right. Now the next... The next most distributed book in all of the world is known as the Little Red Book in China. It's uh, a manifesto about communism, and it was required. Everybody had to have that, okay? Uh, everyone had to not only have a copy of it, everyone in China had to carry it with them at one point. And by best estimate, they have 900 million. The Bible far exceeds 900 million with six, not million, but the B, billion copies out around the world. This is the number one book in all of the known world. It was the first book ever printed on Gutenberg's printing press. It has gone farther than any other word ever could and yet this book, more than any other, is subject to attack after attack after attack. In 2003, uh, there's a guy named Dan Brown. Have you guys ever heard of Dan Brown? Maybe you've heard of this. He wrote a book called The Da Vinci Code. They made a movie about it. Y'all ever heard of that? All right, now listen. In The Da Vinci Code, in the book in 2003, and by the way, that uh, is, a, is a work of fiction. It's uh, it's It's... Absolute, made up, make believe, not real. But in 2003, Dan Brown set out to write a book known as The Da Vinci Code, and he actually was sued by a, a, another author who wrote a book called uh, uh, Holy Blood, Holy Grail, because he ripped off that book so much. Uh, but Dan Brown, in the book The Da Vinci Code, 
makes a lot of weird things, a lot of weird assertions. He claims that Jesus and Mary Magdalene were married and they had a kid and that that kid had a kid and that kid had a kid and the bloodline of Jesus is still around today and that that's the Holy Grail is the bloodline of Jesus. And they say that there's this secret group called the Priory of Sion that made up that Jesus was God and all this kind of stuff. One of the things that he sits there and says, he says, you know what? No one actually even, even thought that the Bible was a legitimate thing. No one actually thought the Bible was a real thing. Nobody thought it was, it was actually what it is today. They only started thinking of it like it was in, uh, at the Council of Nicaea in A.D. 325. He says, and they got all these people together and they met and they decided then and there, hey, this is what we're going to say is the Bible. Ha ha, let's go trick all these poor people out there. And Dan Brown made that assumption. And, and here's the crazy part about it. Now this was a book, this was a fictional book, a fictional story. And people believed it whole hog. I know that, that uh, most of the students in here don't remember that phenomenon, but my adults in here, do y'all remember, I mean, the, the, do y'all remember how the, the nightmare that all of a sudden everyone starts talking about the Da Vinci Code and churches are thinking we've got to launch an offensive. Do y'all remember that time? Do y'all remember that? Man, I remember having to go through a Bible study at that time and teach one about what is real church history and all this kind of stuff because of the Da Vinci Code. And having to defend the Bible from the beginning, even to today, the Bible is under attack, constantly, always under attack. By the way, the Council of Nicaea in 325, they didn't meet together at all to talk about the Bible. Like that wasn't even that wasn't even on the list of things they were going to talk about. If you want to know what actually happened in there, it's, it's cool. This is a, you, listen, this, you don't have to pay extra for this. I'll tell you this, okay? You guys know who St. Nicholas is? All right, St. Nicholas is a real, real dude. He was a real guy. He lived back then and there. All right, and there was a guy named Arius. And Arius gets up in the church, and Arius starts teaching that uh, um, Jesus is not God, that Jesus is, uh, uh, that he's a man. He's a created uh, being like we are, and uh, and that he's not really God. And of course, the council gets together to decide what does the Bible say? Who does the Bible say Jesus is? And they get up there and they are talking about what uh, Arius has said, and it's called the Arian controversy. And at one point, the debate got so heated that St. Nicholas himself, guys, St. Nick, stood up, walked over to Arius, and gave him a little slap across the face. So understand, if, if you don't believe in Jesus, when St. Nicholas comes to visit you, you might, you might just get slapped upside the face. I know you will. That's a brief aside. You don't have to pay extra for that. But the Word of God is constantly under attack. And, and I want to end with this. Why is the Bible always under attack. Why is it always the first thing that is, that is pulled under the rug and, and is, is thrown into all this suspect and people are saying it's not real? Why is that always the point of attack? It's because of what we claim it is. We claim that it is the Word of God. 
And if there is anything we can know about God, if there's anything we know about man, if there's anything we can know about Jesus, if there's anything we know about salvation, if there's anything we can know about truth, we have to start right here with the Word of God. And if you can cut the legs out from this, if you can make this not true, Understand, guys, if this book is not true, then what we're doing here is a whole bunch of gobbledygook and garbage. If this book is not true, then all of Christianity crumbles to the ground. Because what we claim about this book is that it is the Word of God. And we don't do that on our own. The Bible itself says that it is the Word of God. And, and I'm going to have to uh, finish up on this and we'll, we'll come back to the subject next time. But someone open up to uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21. Someone over to 2 Peter 1, 21. Who wants that? Who wants 2 Peter 1, 21? Casey, right, you want to get 2 Peter? And someone open up to 2 Timothy 3, 16. 2 Timothy 3, 16. Who wants that? 2 Timothy 316. I saw uh, Josiah's hand first. All right, and Casey, whenever you get there, please read to us Second Peter chapter one, verse twenty one. Second Peter, chapter one, verse twenty-one. Okay. For no prophecy was ever pronounced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is a verse that tells us exactly where we get these words. Now, in the Bible and in all over, we have prophets. Do you guys know what a prophet is? Yeah. Prophet is someone who would in the Old Testament times and John the Baptist would have been a prophet, would hear from God and he would give that message to the people. The prophets not only gave those messages audibly to the people, they wrote them down. And he says here, no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God. If the prophecy was delivered... If the message was given, it was from God. They did not make it up on their own. And then 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Go ahead and read verse 17 as well. All Scripture is breathed out by God. What I had intended to do, and I just didn't, I don't have time to do it. I wanted to show you how the Bible itself says the Old Testament is Scripture because of the way it quotes itself. I wanted you to see how the Bible says that the New Testament is Scripture. 
I wanted you to see the test of time against the Bible. We've just run out of space to do it in this evening. But understand, the Bible is so important. The Bible is so remarkable. The Bible is always thrown under attack first. The Word of God is always, uh, is always under fire because of what we say it is, because of the authority that we say is in the Bible. The authority of the Bible rests in the author of the Bible. If God has said it, if God has authored this book, if God has given His Word to us, then let me make this point very clear and very quickly. If this is the Word of God, and I am convinced it is, and I, I don't have time... I don't have time to, to prove it from text. But if this is the Word of God, if this really is His Scripture, if that is our authority, then we have no right, we have no right to say that this is wrong. Let me pray for us. And... Uh, we will sing to our great God who's given us His Word, and then we'll be dismissed. Most gracious Holy Father, we do love You and we praise You, and I thank You for Your Word. I thank You for this Bible, this precious gift that You've given us. Thank You that You did not leave us alone to our own designs and to our own whims and thoughts. But Father, You, in Your wisdom, gave us the words that You have for us. Lord, I pray that you would help us to find this Bible to be a precious thing. That we would not take it for granted, that we would recognize it for what it is. And that, Father, any attack that may be leveled against your word, we would be able and willing to stand strong and to say that I trust the words of God than the faulty attacks of the world. It's in your Son's name, Jesus, we do ask these things and for His sake. Amen.